Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Hey guys, hope you're having an awesome morning. I know it's a great morning for me. We got to get our baby Avra dedicated in first service, which is uh, which was exciting. And uh, like Doug said, she just wept the whole time, like little Logan. Um, and normally, maybe I should be embarrassed about that, but really, I just got to say props to us and to Riley and Jess for good parenting, teaching our kids that if a really strange man like that picks you up, you should, you should be scared. <laughs> no. Honored to have Doug dedicate our child. And I mean, dedications, it's this, it's this cool thing. It's, it's not really that big of a deal. It doesn't change that much. But uh, for me, it's really exciting that we get to raise Avra in such a cool church community. Some of you in here might be her future nursery workers or uh, Kids Quest or youth small group leaders. And yeah, I'm thankful for that. And also, I want to say sorry in advance. But uh, yeah, thank you so much uh, for being an awesome church community for us to, to raise her in. Um, it's also a really great day for me because my parents are in town for a few days. They decided to come hang out. And I love it when my parents come to visit. There are a lot of reasons why. Probably my favorite reason is because when my parents are in town, I can go out to a restaurant for a meal, and at the end, I can offer to pay with the full assurance and confidence that there's no way I'm paying for it. <laughs> and so I have the opportunity to look like a good, kind, generous person, knowing that I actually won't have to be. Um, <laughs> On your way in, I hope you got one of these prayer guides. You don't need to grab it yet. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, so let's keep that beside you. If you didn't get one for some reason, we have some at the info center there, so make sure you get one. Uh, Everyone should have one, not not just one for your family, but make sure you grab one. So we're going to come back to that a little bit later. Uh, Like Doug said, we're wrapping up our This Then series on on prayer, and it's based on a really famous passage from the Bible from Matthew 6, 9 to 13, Um, and I'm sure you're all very uh, very familiar with it. Um, before we hop into it, I, I wonder if any of you have uh, ever been to physiotherapy. I have, and what it looks like for me is this, is it looks like at some point I hurt some part of my body, and I'm like, okay, it'll get better, and I wait a while, and quite a bit of time goes by, and then I'm just like, man, like, I'm not getting better on my own. So I end up going to the doctor, and the doctor's like, hey, you need to go to this thing called physiotherapy. And so I'm like, okay, so I go, and I get there, and they start doing all these weird things, like they ultrasound, like, joints of your body, and it's like, yeah, no, my knee's not pregnant, I already took the test, and they put, like, (laughs) shock therapy on you, they make you stand on, like, balance boards, and you realize how bad you are balancing, all these weird things. And then at the end of it, well, in my experience, at least, what happens is they say, well, you know, we don't want to escalate things, we don't want to have to do surgery or anything like that. So what we have is a list of these weird, these five to six weird, strange, kind of menial exercises for you to do. And we want you to do these like three times a day for the next month or two or whatever. And if you're anything like me, you're like, just do the surgery, you know? 
just fix it. I go to the physiotherapist thinking, I want you to fix the issue. I don't want you to tell me that I have to do these dumb exercises. Like, you know, you lay on the ground and lift your arm up and down 15 times. It's ridiculous. And, you, you, you know, because what happens is like, that's, that's an inconvenience for my life. That's time I don't want to have to invest. That's not the answer I was looking for. I'm going to a physiotherapist looking for a quick, easy fix. The crazy thing, though, is one time, and, and I mean, I think if you're like me, you know, you get these exercises, like, yeah, okay, you go home, you go to the physiotherapist again in three weeks, like, how's it been going? You're like, oh, yeah, you know, I've struggled to do it a little bit. You've done it, like, once, but um, one time I hurt my shoulder really badly, and I decided I'm going to commit. I'm going to do these exercises, and one of the main exercises was, you know, those, like, blue, rubber, stretchy, it's like a band thing, I don't know, tie it around a doorknob and just pull it back and forth, like, 15 times, do that three times a day. It's ridiculous. The crazy thing is, is it totally works. You know, my shoulder... <laughs> got better. It's like they actually learned something in school that made sense and they know what they're talking about, which is crazy. It's how I feel about Matthew 6, 9 to 13. I think a lot of times we approach spirituality and Christianity in a way where we, we know there's something missing. We know there's something lacking. We know there's something more. We know we can be more fulfilled. And, and we want to just show up to church or small group or read a bit of the Bible and, and kind of have the surgery happen. Like you deal with the issue. You arrive at something like Matthew 6, 9 to 13 and you get a prescription from Jesus that I'm assuming for a lot of us, we're like, ah, that's not really the answer I was hoping for. Jesus teaches us that we should be praying regularly and not very selfishly in ways that are different than what is our natural bend as humans. But the amazing thing is, much like your physiotherapists, he's right. It's crazy. The God who created the universe actually knows how spirituality and spiritual fulfillment works. And so that's what we've been doing these past three weeks. If you've missed any of these weeks, I'd encourage you to go back and watch it on YouTube or on our website or whatever um, and just keep up. We believe that this stuff is really important. Doug delivered an amazing message last Sunday, um, and I think that two weeks ago I at least delivered a mediocre message. So go and check those out if you've missed out. Uh, what we're going to do right now is just recap a little bit. So I'd encourage you, if you have your Bible or your phone, turn it on, open it up to Matthew 6. Um, and, and what we're going to be doing is, through these three weeks, we've, we've said that we're pulling out three main components that we think are necessary in prayer. You know, there are other things that you might add in and stuff like that, and, and that's fine. But these are the three foundational components. So first week, uh, laid the bottom line and said the main component, the first and foremost component is worship. So in Matthew 6, 9, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. And again, I, I want to I just reiterate, Jesus isn't saying just, just pray this prayer over and over and over again mindlessly, but this is a model for what your prayer life should look like to take this and, and turn it into your own. So this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus starts out immediately addressing God, our loving, kind Father in heaven who, who listens to us and cares about us and immediately goes into worship. He tells him, he's like, you're awesome. Hallowed be your name. That means your name itself is above us. Your name is of more value than our very lives. You are holy and worthy and righteous and above us. And we believe at FBC that the Bible teaches that you were created with the purpose of bringing honor and glory and worship to God, to, that you were created to adore him and to worship him and that that's really your life's purpose. So obviously in our prayer lives, this would be the foundational element that's necessary in prayer. And I think the other two largely just point back to this idea of worship. The second component that we said is necessary, and Doug was talking about last week, is filling your prayers with God's will. So we see this in uh, verses 10 and 11. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And I 
I mean, I struggle with this, and I think we all do, because what we want in prayer is we want to take our will, our desires, our ideas to God, and we want his to line up with us, and we want him to match with us. We we know all the things we want and we need. We know our requests. We know our desires, and we're trying to convince God that this is what we need. When God says, well, chill out. Come to me with all your desires and your will on the table and, and, and conform to my will. And we don't like the idea or the sound of that. That sounds kind of self-defeating. I was talking to uh, a friend this week, and my friend, she's a journalist, and I said, if there was anyone in the world that could like, manage your journal- journalism career, who would you pick? And she said, well, I'd pick Oprah, which is a good choice, because Oprah's so rich that she can give like, cars and everything away to everybody, right? And so I was like, that's a good choice. So if Oprah came and said, I'll manage your career, your journalism career, and, and tell you what to do, would you listen? And my friend said, well, of course I would, which makes sense. I said, well, what if she said, I'm going to manage it to the point where everything I say goes. And if you disagree, then you bend to my will and you listen to me and I'm telling you what's up. And she's like, yeah, of course I would do that. And you'd be crazy not to. I mean, this is like, it doesn't get any more legit or professional than Oprah when it comes to this type of a career. But it's interesting because the gap between my friend and Oprah is small compared to the gap between us and the God who created the universe. He knew everything about your life before you even came into existence. He knew everything about you before you knew anything. We think we know so much about our lives and how it works, but the reality is that all of us have forgotten more of what's happened in our lives than we can remember. If you think back in your life, you've got these memories throughout the years and all that, but most of your life you forget. You, you can't even recall it. You don't know the meals you ate. You don't know the words you've said. You don't, you don't know most of the things that have happened. It's just these little pieces. And God knows every molecule and every strand of who you are and everything that's happened and everything that will happen and how you work better than you do. I, I don't think it's self-defeating to submit to God's will. I think it's actually just a really smart, logical choice. And prayer should take us there. And that that is an amazing act of worship to say, God, I want to submit to your will. I want to surrender to your leading because I recognize that you are enormous and incredible and amazing, bringing us back to a place of worship. Maybe you've read ahead in the passage and you already know what our third component is going to be, but before we talk about it, I'll tell you guys a little bit of a story. So maybe you've noticed in Lloydminster, or especially if you've lived in a bigger city, that sometimes... The city or the bylaw people or municipal, I don't know how it works, but the people who put up speed limits, maybe you've noticed that sometimes they mess up and they accidentally put the wrong speed limits on the roads, right? So for me, like 25th Street and College Drive, right, it's like 50 and 60. I know that they made a mistake. We all know that that's like supposed to be 70 or 80, right? And so, you know, and and that's okay. I'm not bashing the city. Every city, like maybe they run out of signs and they just are like, well, we got a 50 left, so let's throw it up or whatever. For me, I grew up just on the outside edge of Calgary, and so if we ever wanted to drive up to Edmonton or like just go north of the city, we'd take back roads around the city, and there was this one road, and back roads have pretty high speed limits, and I mean, it kind of also doesn't really matter because they're back roads, but there's this one road on these, this back road route that we would take, and everyone knew that this was a situation where the municipality had made a mistake, because it's this like acreages, you can hardly see houses around, it's just a back road, and they put up speed limit signs that said 50. We couldn't figure it out why, so we were just like, well, they must have made a mistake, or like I said, ran out of signs, or maybe someone vandalized this and blotted out the one before the 50 or something like that. And so, 
Anyways, we're peaceable people in Calgary. So instead of like going and making a petition and complaining and stuff, we just were like, you know what, we can just politely just correct this as we drive. We'll just drive the appropriate speed limit and we don't need to make a big deal out of it. One day I was driving on this road, obviously driving the correct speed limit, not the one that the sign said, and I saw this guy coming towards me way up on the road and he was driving this Jeep and it was one of those ones without like the cover on it and stuff like that. And, and he's like emphatically, super animated, like out the top of his vehicle, like waving for me to speed, slow down. And it's like, and it was crazy. Like he was, I couldn't believe it. This guy was like coming unglued. And my initial response was to just get offended. Because I thought, who does this guy think he is? This is ridiculous that I would drive 50 on this road. This doesn't make sense. And I'm thinking, okay, one of two options. This guy lives around here, and he's like superhero citizen, and he's trying to tell me how to live my life, and I don't care. This guy's a jerk. Or else, you know, maybe this guy works for the city, and he's the guy that put the speed limits, and he's trying to cover up his mistake and be like, no, there was actually a reason why we made this road 50. I was like, that's crazy. And I was offended. I was actually just like, this guy's like, you know. And to be clear, this is 15 years ago, so this is before being offended was like as trendy as it is now. So I like... <laughs> Wasn't just so I could like be like social media cool and stuff like that. But anyway, so I'm driving, I'm offended, and as I come, I'm coming up to the crest of this kind of like just a little bit of an incline. And, and just before I hit the crest, I think, well, what if there's what if it's something else? What if it's there's option three and there's something else going on? So I decided to slow down a bit. And just as I come over the crest, there's a cop car there, radar trap, and, and not photo radar like demerits and everything. And I've never seen that guy in the Jeep ever again. I hope I do. I'll like name my, my I'll change Avra's name to whatever his name is. I don't care. <laughs> I love this guy. I was probably going 150, so I don't know what that means, but that's probably bad. And you know, this guy, I was immediately offended because he was pointing out something in my life that wasn't correct, and he knew what was coming. And I think that this is a, a difficult thing for us as people. We get offended. That's uncomfortable for us. And I think about that in regards to this thing that the Bible talks about called sin. Jesus comes into the world and says, you guys are sinful and you struggle with this thing called sin. And we easily get offended by that. You come to a church and they start talking about sin and how you struggle with sin and we're easily offended by that because we don't want to think, oh, we struggle with sin. We, you know, and the Bible, when it talks about sin, it's just talking about anything that goes against what God's created you for. It could be little things, it could be big things or whatever. And, and Jesus in this prayer he makes confession, which is our third component of prayer, a really central part of prayer. He's saying confession is so important because you guys are sinners. He says it, and we want to be offended by that, but he says you are, and you need to confess that and own that. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And if you're taking notes, that's in there, and they're uh, in the bulletins on the app notes, and we have some more coming up as well. I was talking to this guy a little while ago, and uh, he had gotten him, his life into a little bit of a, a tricky situation, made some choices uh, that weren't helping him out that much. And he was talking to me, and he says, you know, Ryan, he's like, none of us are bad people. He says, we just make silly choices sometimes. We're not bad, we just make bad choices sometimes. We're, we're good people, we just kind of make bad choices sometimes. It's a really interesting statement because it completely opposes the message of the Bible. And maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of new to FPC, and you don't, you don't like 
hearing that, but the Bible teaches that all of us struggle inherently, intrinsically with this issue called sin, where we're broken and where God created us for this awesome life with purpose and meaning and fulfillment, and we choose to oppose that. And we struggle to submit to his will and, and to follow that. You know, it's interesting to say none of us are bad people, we just make silly choices, because not only does that contradict the Bible, but I think that contradicts all logic. And I don't think I have to build much of a case for that because the sombering reality is that we live in a world that I think builds that case for me. We're 12, year, 12 weeks, 12 weeks into 2018. There have already been 17 school shootings in the United States alone. Some of them are accidental and not big ones, but 17 school shootings in 12 weeks. None of us are bad people. Just make silly choices. This guy in Austin mailing bombs around, I'm sure you've heard about him, killed himself. None of us are bad people, we just make silly choices. And we're like, well, that's the United States, you know, they're like screwed up and stuff like that. Here in Lloydminster, we've had threats of shootings and bombings and stuff like that. And then we're like, oh, well, you know, shootings, bombings, just those people, I don't do that. Every single person in this room struggles with selfishness, greed, myself included. I'm a greedy, selfish person. I make choices that are not to my own benefit. I make choices that are not to the benefit of my wife, my daughter, my friends, those around me. We blur the, truth, blur the truth all the time, white lies, we gossip, we trash talk people. We decide that we don't agree with taxation laws, so we hide little things when we're filing our taxes. I don't, I don't know what it is. We're not good people that just struggle to make silly choices. Saying that we're not bad people that just make silly choices sometimes is like me saying my body isn't mortal. It just gets sick sometimes and eventually will die. That makes no sense. My body gets sick and will die because it's mortal. We make silly and bad choices because every single person in this room shares something in common, and that's that we struggle with sin, and you will until the day that you die. But the amazing thing is that Jesus says that there's a solution to this. And one of the best things I think that we can do is just own this and be real about it. Rather than trying to pretend, oh, we're okay, we're not messed up, we're not screwed up people who are struggling with brokenness and sinfulness. Like the song said earlier, you know, I'm a sinner. If it's not one thing, it's another. If we actually own that, I think it's the healthiest choice that we can make, and I think it brings a lot of freedom. And I don't, I don't think I have to argue that case that much either, because we live in a day and an age where the whole world is saying that. I mean, you think about, like, all the, you know, all the sexual assault cases and sexual issues that we hear about in the world, and, and what, what are people encouraged to do? They're encouraged to speak up. And you know, see hashtag me too floating all over the internet saying, hey, if you've been wronged, if you've been assaulted, if you've been hurt, don't hide that. Don't pretend things are okay. Have the conversation. Bell Let's Talk Day takes over social media because the, the, like, our world and the, the psychological, psycho, psychological community is saying, if you have mental health issues, if you've got emotional health issues, the healthiest thing you can do is to own it, say, I'm not okay, I'm struggling, and have a conversation about it. Let's talk. You, you know, it used to be that people would think they can benefit themselves by hiding things and pretending that things aren't what they are. No, I'm not struggling. I'm okay. Those things didn't happen. That person didn't wrong me. Hide it away. And, and any counselor or psychologist you'll go and see will say, that's the least healthy approach you can take. And if you actually own it and have a conversation about it and say, I'm not okay, then there's freedom in that. And I believe that Mental, emotional, psychological, sexual health is very important. Physical health, it's all very important. But I believe that the Bible teaches that spiritual health 
is even a bigger deal than all of those. It's the only one that actually lasts for all eternity. And there's not only freedom in owning your sin and having a conversation about it and confessing it, but there's also something amazing that comes into play, and that's when we do, that God lets us experience and encounter his incredible grace. And I believe that this grace brings some incredible freedoms. And what I want to do next is just talk about three of the freedoms. I don't want to beat you guys up too much about being sinners this morning or or myself. I want to talk about the freedom that comes from God's grace. So if you're taking notes, there are three freedoms I want to talk about that come as a result of God's grace. The first one is freedom from guilt. The Bible teaches that God himself is love. Not just that God is loving, he is loving, but that he himself is love. When you see and experience love in the world, you see and you experience the God who created the world himself at act, or acting within his world. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 5, I mean, you've heard this probably a billion times if you've been to funeral or the other things, weddings, same thing. Um, <laughs> Talisy took the baby home, so I can say whatever I want. <clears throat> We should use first service for YouTube. Okay. Um, (laughs) Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And here it is. It keeps no record of wrongs. This is who God is. And this isn't us. I mean, I, I almost think it's brutal that they read this at weddings, you know, because it's like, well, they read this to me. It's like, well, I guess I don't love my wife because like I keep a record of wrongs. I mean, if you're in here and you don't keep a record of wrongs people do to you, that's crazy. I've never met any. I I know know tons of wrongs that people have done, even if I've forgiven them. But God says, you know, my finished work on the cross is that I keep no record of wrongs. It's like it's never happened. And I think we struggle with guilt on on two different levels when it comes to sin. One is an excess of guilt, and and one is that we just ignore guilt. And and I'll unpack that a little bit. Uh, On the first end, I think some people experience too much guilt. And they, they feel, uh, you know, I'm too filthy, I'm, I'm too sinful, I've done too many bad things, I've hurt too many people, I've made too many bad choices. How, how could God accept me and forgive me? And they, they carry that around. Last year, uh, some of you know, but Talisi and I went to Kigali, it's the capital city of Rwanda, and we hung out there for a few weeks. We got we have some missionary friends there. They're Kenyans who live in Rwanda, and they do missionary work. And most of what they do is they work with kids in their neighboring community called Busanza. And uh, these, these kids, a lot of them are born out of prostitution, and so they're impoverished and they don't have a lot of education. So they work with them and do some work there. But my friend Freddie, he's the missionary there, he said, Ryan, we also have started reaching out to ladies who are still like caught in prostitution would you be interested in going and doing that? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to go be a part of that. So what they do is they try to tell prostitutes about Jesus' love for them and try to help them change their lives and kind of restore them and stuff. It's pretty incredible. I wish I had an extra half an hour this morning to tell you the story about what it's like to go and do ministry to prostitutes in Kigali, Rwanda, but I don't have the time. If you ever want to hear the story, you can come talk to me. But this crazy experience. The long and the short of it is that we eventually sat down with this prostitute named Kaliza. I think she's about 23. We talked to her for quite a while. We, we paid her for her time. And we just talked to her. And she, I, I know about like, well, especially if I have my, the notes on my phone, I know about 15 Kinyawanda words. She knew like less English words. So Freddie was translating for us. And she's telling us about her messed up situation and how she had arrived where she was and why she was caught in prostitution and just kind of barely making ends meet. And we were talking about a lot of things, but eventually I started telling her about the immense love that I believe that God has for her and how much he cares about her 
and how much he wants to restore her and be a part of her world. And she said something to Freddie, and he translated it, and what she had said was, but, but I'm a prostitute. And man, like, like it broke my heart, and all I could think was that I just wanted to scream, who cares? Who cares that you're a prostitute? Jesus loves prostitutes. Jesus loves everyone. That's the point, is that his grace is so big that it doesn't matter how big and filthy you think your sins are. Doesn't, if you're sitting here this morning and you're ridden by guilt and you think, oh, I've messed up, I can't go back, you can. We have a God whose love keeps no record of wrongs. And he loves you. And if you're willing to confess and own that, he'll forgive you and he wants to move on as though it never happened. I think on the other end, and this is more kind of my experience personally, is that we, we ignore guilt altogether. You know, you've been a Christian for a while and you you're like, oh, God's grace is so big, so you struggle with sins, and you just kind of make your own selfish choices or, or mess up, and you just think, oh, God's got it. I don't need to go, like, spend time confessing and apologize and stuff like that. And I think that's such an abuse of God's grace. And if you don't think so, you can read Romans 6 and, and be convinced that I, I don't think that's an appropriate response. I know in my life I've been convicted that I need to, I, I need to come before God more and say, I'm sorry. Loving Father, Daddy, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that the things that I've done have offended you and cost your son his life on the cross. I know he forgives me. But what kind of a person does wrong and just never owns up to it? That's weak. If you want to find strength in your prayers, own your sin and come before God and experience his grace and forgiveness. I need to move on to our next point. God's grace brings freedom from bitterness. God's grace is not just an act that he does to you. God's grace is a, is a gift. It's, a, it's an element that he pours into your life, and he wants to continue to pour into your life. And one of the greatest expressions of that is for that to come into our life and to pour out into other people's lives. Check out Matthew 6, 12, and then we'll go to 14 to 15. And forgive us our debts as, equal to, in the same way, just like, we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their, others, their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's, that's heavy. For me to pray that God would forgive me like I forgive others, that's scary. And it's only by God's grace that that could work out well for me. You see, one of the problems with you know, experiencing God's forgiveness and confessing your sins, but not being willing to forgive others, being bitter, being unforgiving, is that it just shows that God's grace hasn't actually acted within your life. You can say you've been forgiven, you can say you've experienced God's grace, but until it starts pouring out of you, you haven't really experienced what his grace and his mercy and forgiveness are all about. Matthew 18, the last half, like verses 21 to 35, there's this parable, this story that Jesus tells. He talks about this king who he's settling all his debts. People owe him money, so the king starts calling people towards him, and they owe him money. And so this one guy comes before him, and the guy owes him what in the story is called 10,000 talents, or if you have a more modern translation, 10,000 bags of gold. And it, roughly, if you were to equate that to Canadian economy nowadays, what that means is about $10.2 billion. The king says, you owe me $10 billion. And this guy obviously says, listen, man, I don't have that high of a credit limit on my credit card. You know, like, I can't, I can't pay that. So the king rightly says, okay, you and your family will be thrown into prison, and you'll work for me for the rest of your lives. 
And the guy says, please have mercy on me. So the king says, sure, you know what? New plan. Since you asked, you don't have to go to prison and your debt's erased. Have an awesome day. It's incredible. This man goes out. As he's walking down the street, he sees a guy. And the Bible says that the, he remembers that the guy owes him what some translations call 100 denarii or 100 silver coins, which is still a significant amount of money, but it's about $19,000, $20,000. That's a fair chunk of change, nothing compared to $10 billion. And the guy says, hey, you owe, me, you owe me 20 grand. And the guy says, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have 20 grand. I'm really sorry. And the guy says, all right, well, I'm going to throw you in jail. Have you thrown in jail? You have to work it off. And the guy says, please have mercy. And the guy says, absolutely not. You're going to jail. So a lot of you probably know the story, but the king, he hears about this, so he calls the guy back. He's like, are you kidding me? 20 grand? I just gave you $10 billion. And the king saw that this guy hadn't actually experienced the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness that he offered him. This guy just experienced the benefits of it. He just was like, okay, $10 billion, that's sweet. King says, you don't get it. So then the king throws him and his family in jail, and there are consequences for that. The greatest act, the greatest evidence that God's grace has acted within your life is that others around you experience it, experience it through you directly. The third freedom is freedom from sin. You're always going to struggle. I don't care how long you're a Christian for, you're going to struggle with sin. Like I said, that song said, if it's not one thing, it's another. You're always going to struggle with that. But I believe that Jesus actually gives us grace so that we can not only be forgiven of our sins, so that it can act in our lives and give us the power to resist temptation and to move from evil to righteousness. Not, not because we need to be good enough for God, but because God our Father is pleased when his children are generous and kind and loving and act unselfishly and make healthy choices that aren't evil. God loves it when we resist temptation. He's honored by that. Matthew 6.13 Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our confession isn't just for the sins that we've already committed or that we're committing, but it's asking God to help us have less to confess for in the future. Not that you will ever not have stuff to confess for. God is so pleased by this. I want to take a quick shift uh, if you've got these prayer guides. Uh, we didn't call them a prayer book because it's not prayers that you read out. We didn't call it a prayer journal because you don't journal in it. We called it a guide because we're hoping that this will just guide and inform your prayer life. We made them nice and small so it can fit in your purse or your fanny pack or your pocket or I don't know, what, whatever kind of gear you have. Keep it in your car. First, I hope this prayer guide will be a reminder to pray all the time. As you see it, that you'll pray all the time. I want to give you guys a little bit of a glimpse. There's, there are instructions in there, but I want to give you a little bit of a glimpse as to what we hope it accomplishes in your life. What we're hoping is that you'll take Jesus' model prayer and, and actually put those components into work in your life. If you're anything like me, what happens is I read the Bible and I study it and I, re I take it in intellectually, then I close it and over here I pray. And what we're hoping is that we can bring those together more so that God's voice will not only act on your life, but will flow out of your life as you pray and that these will guide the ways that you pray. So if you open it up, the first page just has the Lord's Prayer. Second page has some instructions which you can, or the, sec or the next couple pages have instructions which you can read. Uh, when you get to this page with all these blank lines, if you weren't here last Sunday, we did something like this. We put this at the start because we believe that this is huge, and we believe that through prayer we can change our community in incredible ways. We just did spring effects here on Thursday, and it was awesome, but we believe that one of the greatest ways we can change and love our communities is by praying for them to come to know Jesus. This is a space for you to write down some names. Don't worry about trying to fill out all of them right away unless you can, but try to make a point of praying for these people every single day. 
to come to know Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and this seems really weird that people around you might be praying for you to come to know Jesus. Just know that it's the greatest thing we think you could ever experience, and we love you enough to pray for you regularly. Next, the first component we see in here is worship. And so it's just a ton of scripture. And so what we're doing, doing is hoping that this will just help you slow down, open your Bible or turn your Bible on on your phone, and use this as a guide to inform your prayers, to use God's voice and let it flow through. So for example, on the worship page, there's just some teaching about worship. So uh, Philippians 4.4 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This is teaching about how you can worship God. And someone clearly should teach the scripture to Jess and Riley's baby and also my baby when they're at church here because they cry a lot. But rejoice in the Lord always. Be full of joy. God, God is, gives you so much. There are passages of worship like Daniel 4.3 where Daniel says, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Or classic like John 3.16 where it says, God loved the world so much that he sent his son to give his life for us. And as you read these, don't just gloss over those, but slow down and with the author, worship with Daniel. It says, God, your wonders are so great. You're so good. Park on that. Camp on that for a while. I mean, that verse could be, could be your entire prayer time where you just worship God for how great he is or worship God for the fact that he sent his son for us. And as you read scripture outside of this too, do the same, slow down and just worship God for who he is. The next page, it talks about God's will and how to pray God's will, but I'll look at these two bottom categories a little bit. God's will for Christians, Doug kind of talked about this. So what this is saying is that the Bible tells us a lot of things that are God's will for the ways that we would live our lives and the ways that other followers of Jesus would live their lives. So be praying that these things would come to life in you and also in those people in your church, in your small group, in your family who are following Jesus. So for example, you can read passages like 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, where it says that we should rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks to God in all circumstances. Make it be your prayer that that would be your life and that God's will would come to life in you like that. And then under that it says God's will for non-Christians. So this is where one of God's greatest aspects of his will is that people would come to know him can read in 2 Peter 3.9. God's not slow in keeping his promise. He's patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Your prayers should be filled with prayers that people around you would come to know Jesus. Fight for your friends. Fight for our community. Fight for your family in that way. And the last one, confession, what we've been talking about today. There's some preaching on confession. And then you come to passages of confession. And in Psalm 51, you'll read this confession psalm by David. He got his life into a real mess. I hope that none of you get your lives into that big of a mess. But whatever you've done, come and just pray along with David as he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me away. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. Just pray along with David as he prays that. And then let God's grace push you away from evil. You can read in 2 Timothy 2.22. It says to flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love. Say, God, help me. Help me pursue faith, love, righteousness. Help me flee the evil temptations that come my way. If you've been here the last couple weeks, you know that we've been ending each week with a little bit of an application time. We don't want to just teach you here at FBC. We don't want to just encourage you and say, hey, here's some things you should think about. Here's some things that you should do. We want to give you some tools. We want to equip you. We want to give you some ways that you can actually take that home and do that. And at the end of these services, we decided we want to actually just practice that together as a church because we think prayer is such an awesome community thing. 
So what we're going to do in a minute, and these guys are going to keep playing, and afterwards they're going to sing a bit. Darren's going to take over. But we're actually going to just spend a couple minutes just in a time of prayer of confession where we can just have some space and some time to come before God and say, God, I'm sorry for the, th- the sins that I struggle with. I'm sorry that I don't line up with your will. I'm sorry that I live my life in ways that your son had to give his life for. This isn't to beat ourselves up, but confession is one of the greatest acts of worship. So much benefit for us as we experience God's grace, but it's one of the greatest ways we can worship God. The fact that in five days we're commemorating the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, we can come before him in confession and say, God, your grace and mercy and love are so big. And I'm so thankful that even though I'm a broken sinner who struggles with so much selfishness, that you love me, that you forgive me. That's incredible. Before we do that, I want to quickly say, if you're here and you've never decided to follow Jesus before, um, this might be a little bit weird to you because the idea of confessing sins and praying to God might be weird. But I'd invite you, if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus before, take these couple minutes to confess your sins to God and say, God, I want to start today. Today's the perfect day to start a relationship with Jesus. Today's the perfect time to embrace the grace that your loving Father who created you has for you. So during these couple minutes, you can, you can do that. You can say, God, I'm sorry. I love you. I want to commit my life to you. And if you do, we'd love to talk to you about that and encourage you with that. It's not an easy journey all the time. And if you're here and you've been a Christian for a while, just take these couple minutes to just say, God, I'm sorry for the ways that I sin, the ways that I struggle, the ways that I'm selfish. Help me live the life that you want me to. Please fill me with your grace and your forgiveness. If you're sitting there and you're struggling to think of sins to confess, then ask God to reveal that to you. If you're still struggling, then just pray that God would forgive you for your pride because that's obviously what's masking it. We're going to spend a couple minutes doing this. And you can kind of do this however you want. You can stay sitting. You can stand if you want. Um, I'm probably going to kneel. There's nothing magical about kneeling, but the Bible... Uh, sometimes talks about this posture as being a thing of humility and it's awkward because we don't do that at FBC and it's uncomfortable because 20 seconds in you're like, oh man, this really hurts. But if that's what you feel in your heart, who cares what people around you think? Take a couple minutes, kneeling, sitting, standing, I don't care, laying down on your bench, whatever, and just embrace God's incredible grace and forgiveness as you come before him and, and humbly confess that you're struggling with sin. So now let's do that and Darren will take us away after that.